Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Just south of Tucson, Arizona, there is a border town called Nogales, Arizona. And just across the border is its twin sister city called Nogales, Mexico. When I was on my vicarage, that's an internship that we serve in studying to become a pastor, uh, I served that, that internship year in Lakewood, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. And towards the tail end of that year, my wife Abby and I served as chaperones on a youth mission trip to Nogales, Mexico. We worked with a local church there doing activities and mission work in the town. And uh, one of the places that we went and served was actually at the local city garbage dump. Because at this garbage dump, people live. Here's a picture of what it looks like there. It may not seem like much of a life, but it is life. What was garbage to some people, literally trash, dead to them, thrown away, is now providing life, giving life to people who may feel like they were dead to the world, to their society, cast away, thrown out, not worth much. Now they have life being provided to them. In our visit there, we were able to enter into some of these homes and meet with the local residents, and it was incredibly humbling and a remarkable story to see their faith and their life. On many levels, this garbage dump reflects the reality that we will hear over and over again today. And that's this reality. God gives life to what seems dead. God gives life seems dead. We are in chapter 2 of the story. The story is a 31-week journey chronologically through the Bible. If you don't have a copy of this book, we have a book table in the back where you can pick one up. If you're going to be with us anytime between now and next May, uh, pick up a book. They're, they're $5 if you can afford that. If not, just take one. We want you to have a copy of this book. There are children's books back there that follow along with the same themes. Children in our Sunday school program, those books are free. Please make sure you have them. Uh, grandparents or neighbors, if you have children in your life that you think this would be a, a nice gift for, we would ask that you would pay for those and the prices are listed uh, by those books on that book table. Chapter 2, we are in chapter 2 of the story, and chapter 2 of the story introduces us to a man named Abraham and his family. And as is the case with this whole, with the whole book, the story, there is so much to cover in these chapters that I can't get into all of it today. And so my encouragement to you at a minimum is please read the story in advance of coming to church so you get the overarching story. But then I would invite you to go one level further Turn to page 494 in the back of your story Bible and find the reference guide. Go into your Bible and actually read what's happening and then read more and fill in the gaps. It's a good story. Open up the scriptures and read. But what I want to do with you today is tell you three stories. I'm going to tell you three stories, one for each generation. Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And each of these stories demonstrate this reality that God gives life to what seems dead. First, Abraham. Originally, his name was Abram. That was his born given name. And for much of the story, that's how he's called, Abram. If you're reading through the story and you, and you read it, perhaps you even saw like sometimes it bounces back and forth between Abram and Abraham. For simplicity and consistency today, I'm simply going to call him Abraham, his God-given name, which means father of many. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because the name Abraham embodies the promise that God was making to him. God makes a promise to Abraham and he uses two different images to do so. The image of dust and the image of stars. First, if you're following along in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, or in your story Bible on page 14, God says this, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Like counting the grains of sand, the dust. If you can count it, that is how many children you will have. And then in chapter 15, verse 5, or in the story on page 15, God said, okay, don't look at the ground anymore, and said, look toward the heavens. And number the stars, Abraham, if you are able to number them. Can you even count that high? Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God is promising to Abraham that he would be the father of, of, of all people, that all nations of the earth would be blessed through his family line, and that he would have descendants upon descendants upon descendants who, by the end, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Big promise. There's only one problem. Abraham is really old. So old that he should not be able to have children. And his wife Sarah is also old, and they don't have children right now. They don't have any children when God is saying this, and they're well past the years where they should be able to have children. It's not that they hadn't tried, it's just that they couldn't. In the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament, we read it today, but Hebrews uh, happens years after Jesus, and so therefore years and years after Abraham, the writer of Hebrews reflects back on the faith of Abraham and Sarah And in reflecting on their faith, says this, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, (laughs) were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the writer of Hebrews is saying it was fulfilled. It happened. But God made the promise to people who were as good as dead. An old man and his wife with an as good as dead womb, you could say. And God made this promise to them. And you know what Abraham and Sarah did when God made the promise to them? Both of them laughed. They laughed. They said, come on, Abraham fell on his face in laughter. 
Why? Because they're saying, we can't have kids. Are you kidding me, God? Are you serious? But then God said to Abraham, after laughing at him, God said to Abraham, you know what? It is going to happen. And when that child is born, I want you to name him Laughter. (laughs) Name him Laughter. Isaac. That's what it means. Isaac. Isaac literally means laughter in Hebrew. And so God is saying to him, laugh. Yes, you laugh at God's promise, but you will laugh even more when you watch me follow through on it. God gives life to what seems dead. As good a dead as, as as an old man and an old womb. God can give life. Some of you have dealt with infertility yourselves or maybe had miscarriages or stillbirths. You've you've seen the the difficulty sometimes in in having and raising children. And I know this. I've I've seen and, and walked with people who have dealt with infertility and other tragedies of the sort. And I know how difficult that can be. But I've also seen it not all the time, but sometimes where, where they're granted life. Once again, later on, where they're given a child. And, and I know the inexplicable joy that they have. And I've even seen it when people who have dealt with infertility even have the option to adopt and raise a child and bring that child into their home. And, and oftentimes there's even laughter in that moment because you go, God, you are the only one who can give life in such a way. You are remarkable, God. God gives life to what seems dead. Our second story today is the story of this boy named Laughter, Isaac. Abraham gave, and, and his wife gave birth to Isaac, and you can imagine the joy that Abraham must have had to have Isaac in his life. A true bond between a father and a son. I only imagine that Abraham took great joy in teaching his son things like how to fish, how to burp loud, maybe how to do armpit toots or other things like that that dads tend to teach their sons. But I'm sure he also taught him how to treat his mother, Sarah, like the princess that she was. Sarah, by the way, that means princess. (laughs) I'm sure he taught him how to treat his mother well. But even more so, I believe that Abraham taught Isaac how to trust in God, how to have a deep, deep faith in God and be obedient to the Word of God, a true bond between a father and a son. One day, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son on a trip up the mountain, and there I want you to sacrifice him. As a father... This is one of the most difficult places in the scriptures for me to read. If I put myself in Abraham's shoes, I say, why, God, you know, I get sad and frustrated and mad if I put myself in Abraham's shoes. I don't get it. However, let me tell you, putting yourself in the character's shoes in the scriptures is not always the best way to read the Bible. Okay? So, I don't want to put myself in Abraham's shoes. Instead, I would encourage you to take a step back and just read the story for what it is. 
Not just this story in isolation, but the whole thing. So you can see what God is up to in it all. Because when we read it like that, here's what we see. Who is Abraham? He is a man of deep, deep faith, trusting in his God. Time and time again in his relationship with God, God has made a promise and followed through on the promise. God had asked Abraham to do things, and most often he tried to do it. Abraham saw God's faithfulness most clearly in this son named laughter, right? Because here he sees the embodiment of God's remarkable capacity to follow through on promises that are hard to believe. And so in that moment when God says, Abraham, sacrifice your son, Abraham knows no different than to be obedient to God's word, trusting in God's plan and promise. And as that boy is tied up and about to be sacrificed, an angel appears and points Abraham's attention to the ram caught in the bushes. And the angel says, sacrifice the ram instead of this son. And that's exactly what happens. Again, the writer of Hebrews, reflecting back on this story, records this and says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God takes an incident that looks as good as dead and he brings life. I imagine at this moment that after the fact, Abraham's faith is probably deepened even more. I don't think he's questioning God. I think his faith is even deeper. And I believe that Isaac's faith is actually deeper. Why? Because he tasted death and yet lived. He was set free. Some of you have been near to death yourselves. Maybe you survived an accident or a difficult diagnosis. Or maybe you just you made a really, really dumb decision and it should have led to catastrophe, yet it, somehow it all worked out. If you've tasted death and seen how bad things could be, and yet you live on the other side and can tell the story, and if you believed in God beforehand, I believe after the fact your faith ought to be even deeper even stronger, looking at that reality and saying, God, it is only you who could rescue me from death's grips and bring me to life. God gives life to what seems dead. Our final story today is the story of Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. As Isaac grew up, he got married to a woman named Rebecca, and they were blessed with twin boys. These two boys were active in her womb, duking it out, as siblings often do. Esau was born first, but Jacob was not far behind, literally holding on to his brother's heel as as Esau was being born. Jacob came right out. And these boys duked it out for a while. And it escalated finally as Isaac, their dad, aged and became blind and was near death. It became time for Isaac to pass on his inheritance to his oldest son, Esau. Esau was a hunter. 
He could have made it in the UP, I think. And Isaac said to Esau, Esau, why don't you go out hunting, get some wild game and bring it back and prepare my favorite meal and I'll bless you with your inheritance. Well, Rebecca, his wife, loved Jacob, the younger, more. And so in an elaborate plot, uh, Rebecca cooked Isaac's favorite food, dressed Jacob to look and feel like Esau, so that as he went into his blind father's room, his, his blind father was tricked and duped and ended up giving the inheritance to Jacob. Esau returns back from the hunt with his wild game, and he sees what's happened. He's so angry at his brother and his mom that the Bible says he wants to kill his brother. He wants to kill him. So Rebecca protects Jacob once again and sends him off to go live with her brother Laban where he lives for 20 years working for Laban and getting married twice because he got tricked himself by Laban. You can read about it yourselves. But he got married, had a bunch of kids, and after two decades decided it's time to return home. But in his return home, his gut is aching and he is worried. Will my brother still be angry. I mean, will my brother kill me when I get home? So Jacob sends gifts and people ahead of him to to, to soften the blow to Esau to pay him off. But Esau says, I don't need any of that. And when he sees Jacob coming, Esau sees him at a distance and Esau runs to his brother for what was lost has been found and he embraces him. A broken relationship healed. God gives life to what seems dead. You've experienced the same, or at least I pray that you have. When you've had a relationship in this world that's been damaged and perhaps near death, and through your own humility, and your desire to offer grace and forgiveness in the name of Jesus to the other people, that relationship has been able to be restored and healed. You know what joy there is when life is restored in broken relationships. And if you have not experienced that and you have these kinds of relationships in your life, strive for it to live with grace and humility and forgiveness like Jesus. Because when you do, you see that God is the only one who can give life to what seems dead, even broken relationships. God takes the things that have no life or value in them and He gives them life once and again. I want to take you back to that garbage dump in Nogales, Mexico. When I was here and we walked these makeshift streets. We met with the people. We went in their homes. But we also had a worship service. The church that we were serving with in town had this garbage dump as one of their mission sites, and they had built uh, a church right there in the, in the dump. Not out of garbage, but out of cinder blocks. Nice, simple little building. And we worshiped right in the middle of a garbage dump. People from the dump gathered together for worship. And there in that moment is an image of what is true. That Jesus Christ himself brings life to what is dead. 
not just to what seems dead, but Jesus is the one who brings life to what is dead. Friends, even when death itself enters your life and ends your life, Jesus will bring life out of death. I'm getting a little bit far ahead of myself. This is a spoiler alert in week two. We got 31, 29 more weeks to go, whatever the math is. This is the story. God creates life, sustains life, promises eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in that moment, in a place of trash, with people who felt like trash, they heard of the best news the world has ever heard, that Jesus promises life now and life eternal. Now, you may not live in a garbage dump surrounded by trash, but sometimes you feel like trash. Burned out, burned down, cast aside by the world, trying to figure out what your place is in in this mess of a world. You heard today three stories about how God brought life to a dead womb, to a dead son, and to a dead relationship. God can and will bring life to you now and forever, through Jesus Christ alone in his name. Amen.